Welcome to FASD Hope, a podcast about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder through the lens of parent advocates with over 21 years of living experience. FASD Hope provides awareness, information, and inspiration to those people whose lives have been touched by FASD. And I'm the host of FASD Hope, Natalie Beck-Young. Welcome to today's episode. It nurtured love in me, an answer to a prayer I'd written. There is so little I know. Love, that is the whole thing, I think. Love God, love neighbors. May I love more and better. May my children one day say, she was crazy and made lots of mistakes, but she loved God, she loved us, and she loved people. That was an excerpt from Tinderbox, One's Family, Story of Adoption, Neurodiversity, and Fierce Love, by today's guest, Lynn Alsop. Welcome to today's episode of FASD Hope. It's September and it's FASD Awareness Month. And most importantly, it's September and we have a wonderful new book about adoption, neurodiversity, fierce love, and FASD. And today's guest has been a two-time guest on FASD Hope. First on episode um, oh my goodness, I don't I don't even have the episode number, but she was our first Facets Friday guest um, on September 14th of 2021. And um, our second conversation was October 28th, 2022, episode 161, A Family's Transformation Through Facets. And I'm so glad we had that conversation and those conversations before we're going to talk about our guest's book, because when you read this book, you're going to take a deep dive into not only her family's journey with FASD and adoption and neurodiversity, but her own, what she learned about herself. Because I think so many of us on this journey, not only do we need to examine our family's um, regulation and our family's progression and our family's strengths, but we also to take a look inside. And that's a really hard thing to do, especially if you come from a background of trauma. So lengthy introduction, we're going to talk about Tinderbox, one family story of adoption, neurodiversity, and fierce love with author, facets facilitator, educator. She wears many hats, all of them very well. Lynn Alsa. Lynn Welcome back to FASD Hope. Thank you so much, Natalie. And welcome back to FASD Hope. I know you've been back for a bit now, but we're all so grateful that um, you have the, the space to offer us this incredible gift that you do. Again. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've shared. I had to take what I call a dramatical it was a sabbatical that was really yeah. dramatic. Yeah. I thought it was going to be permanent, but thank goodness it wasn't. And um, and mm-hmm. and that really is related to what you Absolutely. explore. One of the many things you explore in this book is is again mm-hmm. not just self care, but self restoration. You know, you really right. dive into as a parent, you dive into that secondary caregiver trauma, PTSD, mm-hmm. the things that we kind of 
forget about because we're in survival mode for so many years. Right. Right. So before, and, and this is a first for me in that I have no notes for this conversation. This is going to be a a pure conversation um, between two moms, two people who are on this journey. Um, And I'm so, so thankful that this book is out in the world. And as we air this episode today, we're airing it on launch day. And I was honored that Lynn asked me to be a part of her launch team for Tinderbox. So, um, and I told Lynn before we started talking that you can tell how engaged I am with a book by how many post-it notes I I have in there and you can't see, but I'm holding up the book. I have last count was about 63 to 65 post-it notes in there. So those are going to actually help me guide today's conversation. So if this is the first time you've been listening to Lynn, if you're a new listener, Lynn, can we, before we take a dive into your book, can you just start off a little bit about your background and remind our listeners about um, who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Thanks, Natalie. I love that book. That's going to be my new favorite picture of Tinderbox with all those blue papers sticking out all over the place. Um, So I, early on, before I became a mom, became a social worker. Um, And so that's kind of my framework that I have operated out of. When I discovered social work in college, I thought, oh my gosh, this is who I am. Not just what I want to do, but what resonates with me, you know, in my core. And so that really has shaped um, my life since then. And after practicing social work for a while, we created our family through adoption. So we have three daughters who came into our family um, through adoption. And really... Early on in that process, I realized I was not equipped for whatever was happening in my family. You know, I thought that I was. My husband has a degree in marriage and family therapy, and we thought, we've got this, whatever it is, you know. Um, But we had a lot of learning to do, a lot of changing, um, lots of transformation that needed to happen along the way. And um, it was really my girls who led me kind of to dive deep into first attachment and trauma and learning more and more about that. Um, This will tell you how old I am, but I graduated from my graduate social work program in 1996. And we talked a little bit about attachment and trauma, but it was not nearly what it is today and what we know today about how that affects the brain and relationships and all of that. So um, yeah, that was kind of my first jump was into attachment and trauma and really trying to understand um, how that impacted my kids and our family. And I spent a little bit of time there and then I realized that I was missing something. You know, there was still something happening that I just didn't understand. And no matter what I did, all of the, you know, fantastic things I thought I knew about parenting and consequences and discipline and love and all of those things, it just didn't seem to make a big difference in our family um, day to day, 
in our lives. Of course, there was a lot of beauty and, and connection that happened, but there was also a lot of chaos, a lot of confusion, and honestly, a lot of violence, really, um, just emotionally and sometimes physically that was happening in our home. And Jeff and I were mystified, you know, we just didn't know. Um, and so then they led me again, my kids, to FASD. And to when I when I learned about FASD, I thought, oh my gosh, this is something else entirely than what I've been trying to respond to. You know, this is about brain-based differences. I didn't really know what that meant at the time, you know, but I picked up Diane Melbourne's little purple book and thought, Oh, okay. It was a, a big pivot point for me of kind of walking through this threshold into a new world of brain-based differences, neurodiversity, really looking at what was happening for all of us as something that was happening in our brains, you know, and, and then learning to respond to it differently. So that has led me kind of on a on my path to facets and my work there. Um, and I also along the way was really looking for ways to um, honestly, some days to survive um, a lot of days to be the person I wanted to be. You know, I was so triggered by some of my kids challenging behaviors and um, so confronted by my own values and the conflicts that came up in our family around what I valued and what my kids were able to do and not do at that time, you know, that stage of development in a certain environment, those kinds of things. Um, and that really led me to spiritual direction, which is another hat that I wear. I'm also a spiritual director. Um, I was really just looking for someone to companion me on my journey, trying to figure out how am I going to live? How am I going to love really was my question. And my prayer, honestly, for so many years was, man, I want to be a person who is peaceful, who is loving, who is kind, who is encouraging. And hopefully I was sometimes. And then sometimes I absolutely wasn't. You know, I just was not able to be. Um, so that led me into the world of spiritual direction and further on into really looking at contemplative practices that were very much and still are my anchor that kind of allow me to create some space inside myself so that I'm not quite so reactive. Um, yeah, so I ended up going through the... Um, an institute called SAGE in New Mexico through their meditation teacher training program. So, so those are the things that I collected along the way, <laughs> you know, a social worker, um, the spiritual director, a meditation guide, now an author, because I felt like I had to tell the story. And I'm so thankful you shared this story, Lynn. Um, before we jump in, I think it's symbolic. So there are almost 300 pages in this book, um, 282 in my copy of, <laughs> of your story. Now, this is some, I think this is symbolic of so many families' FASD journeys. FASD was not like 
mentioned like formally until page 189. Yeah. That is 189 pages of survival, dysregulation, um, like you said, violence, just just pure what I call and what we're going to talk about, pure fire from this tinderbox, pure yeah. fire from this dysregulation. 189 pages. I think that's symbolic to me. I see that as kind of like an illustration uh, of how many years we go through this journey without having yeah. a name for it. And, you know, doctors and other people say, oh, you want another label? Because our kids acquire all these labels along the way. And a very wise friend, Joel Shagren, said, you know, ADHD, anxiety and everything, that's a diagnosis, but it's not the whole diagnosis. The whole diagnosis mm -hmm. is FASD. That's the umbrella. And also in your in your book, when your oldest daughter finally received her diagnosis, it was like at the bottom of the list. And for our son, it was the okay. same thing. He had the diagnosis, but it wasn't the primary diagnosis. And and mm. your book illustrates it. It so beautifully shares that comparison that, no, mm. FASD is the primary diagnosis. Whatever right. happens in the brain is the primary diagnosis, not just mm -hmm. from the brain, but the body, because you share the, the physical, the, right. the medical that, you know, so many of us have experienced. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to point that out. I think that's so symbolic of our FASD mm -hmm. journeys that all those pages, all those years, finally, you know, page 189, yeah. I have this big, you know, probably my <laughs> brightest post-it note and aha, here it is. It's yes. finally, you know, you allude yeah. to it, you allude to the fetal alcohol and everything, but mm -hmm. finally getting the diagnosis yeah. after all of that. Um, yeah, I love that so much, Natalie. I, you just gave me chills. Um, that's <laughs> I actually had a review early on, a reviewer who is not familiar with the world that we live in, who, I mean, that drove her crazy that it was so far into the book, you know, before that but diagnosis it's so comes. And it's so symbolic it was, of our journey. Yeah. Yeah, to really be able to see how far we go, how many trails we walk down that turn out to maybe not be dead ends. I mean, I think we learn things along the way, definitely, that are important, but absolutely. That, um, yeah, that's, that is wonderful. I love I love that insight, Natalie. Thank you so much for that. Oh my goodness. So I'm, I'm picking again, I'm, my questions are just, I have the book here and I'm picking out post-it notes. <laughs> I guess yep. I'll, I'll make that a yeah. hashtag. Picking post-it notes for right. our tidbits <laughs> of conversation. So we start in the beginning and some of the, some of the words, some of the phrases, and again, I'm, I'm quoting from the book. So the book is available for purchase before we end our conversation today. Lynn's going to share where you can buy it. S some things that stood out to me in the beginning, my exhausted compassion, that right there, mm -hmm. you, you are compassionate, but you're drained. You are physically exhausted. And another, another beginning quote that just really struck a chord with me. We get the littles fed into bed and then we face our terror. 
Lynn, that brought me back to the year, the years of, okay, my husband and I would divide and conquer. And you and Jeff yeah. did that. So, uh, and so many listeners Constantly, share that right? you divide <laughs> yeah. and conquer, you divide and conquer. Mm-hmm. And for so many years, you live in that divide and conquer yeah. mode. And when you're out of it, like you share, you know, later down in the book, you know, um, mm-hmm. when you start to get answers and start to, you know, questions are starting to be, um, make more sense. Um, you, when you step out of that survival mode and look how you survived, I know for my husband and I, it, it, it was our faith. It was completely our faith because I have no other explanation. I don't think I would have survived. Mm-hmm. And there were points in our journey where we almost broke, like literally our marriage almost broke because this does that. Yeah. And I see that with you. In fact, there was one page mm-hmm. that I so related to Jeff when he just kind of lost it. And, and, and again, you have to read the book to find out where, but and he did something that I almost verbatim did exactly with our son. Like just you, you snap mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. when you were writing this, when you were writing this down, especially thinking of those exhausted compassion, um, when you face your terror, um, when you're dividing and conquering, share with me just, just what you were thinking when you were, reliving those parts of your journey. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It was brutal and also very healing. You know, I think I, um, I, I knew that I needed to write the story um, and I was scared out of my wits to write the story. (laughs) You know, there were a lot of um, lots of challenges, including just realizing I was telling my family's story, not just my own, especially our oldest daughter. You know, our our lives are intimately entwined, of course. Our stories are intimately entwined. And so there was a lot of um, apprehension is probably not strong enough a word, you know, but but just can I, can I tell this story? Is it okay for me to tell this story? Um, because it's their story too. And, and can I physically and emotionally relive it? Can I write it really remembering through my senses? Like, what did I smell? What did I hear? What did I see? What the, the way, the things that are part of a book that we love because we can feel like we're there, you know, could I do that again? And, um, this is that I'm going to get to that for a minute. I just want to like have a parenthesis and say, I did go through a whole process, especially with Jeff and Claire, my oldest daughter about once I had written it, I I felt like I had to write the whole thing down without any, without keeping anything out, you know, just to see what was there. And then we went through a big process, the three of us together trying to figure out what should be there? What shouldn't be there? Uh, and I actually ended up asking another a therapist in our family's life to kind of be Claire's advocate and 
you know, read the book and talk with Claire about what are the potential consequences of this story being out there, help her sort of think through all of that, and also ask her hard questions that I knew in the midst of our relationship, I couldn't be the one to advocate for her in that way with the book, you know, but so I pulled another person in and we went through a whole process together. And, um, but that was it. That was a really challenging part of it too. Um, and ultimately Claire and Jeff both have zero qualms and I mean, Claire's 24 now, as you know, you know, Claire, but um, they both just want the book to help as many people as possible. I feel a little bit like I'm, you know, sending out uh, photos where no one has enough clothes on <laughs> you know, to the world. And have. I mean, there are lots of questions around all of that. And there's a lot of struggle in that. Um, but I think but that's I part of our journey. All of I their think... blessings, you know. In exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's part of this journey is because... There's so many unbelievable parts that a, yeah. a and I I'm using air quotes neurotypical families don't go through, yeah. but we just go through, and it's just part of our lives. And putting right. it out there, putting it on paper, sharing it in a podcast, sharing it in a webinar, you know, yeah. you are sharing a very vulnerable part of not only you but your family and and. Right you know, the people who you fiercely advocate for. Um, right. And right. so it's tricky. Yeah, it is. It is tricky. But oh, my goodness, Lynn, your descriptive writing. I, I was transported to Haiti. I, I could mm. smell. I could hear. I could see everything. Mm. This book. So not only did you make this book a, a memoir of your family's journey and then at near the end, this redemption of diagnosis of, of, you know, mm. facets of, of, and be parenting and be family and be life. Um, but in the beginning, you, you, I couldn't put this book down because mm. I wanted to see what happened in Haiti. And then what happened when you came back and what happened when you went up to, you know, Vancouver yeah. and when you went, so you really, so great. You, you really do this amazing job as an author, Lynn, of, of taking your reader all of those places. Um, mm. And, and I was Thank really, um, I, I, it just really, I think your writing style really helps the reader get a better sense of what not only this journey is, but what you went through for this journey, you know? Yeah. We, yeah, we well, I think I was just gonna say, I, you know, I think really I, the word is probably surrender, surrendering to going back to those places in a real visceral way. Um, like I said before, was was brutal. <laughs> it was, you know, there were many days where I would finish writing a scene and then just lay on the floor in my office until I could stand up again, you know, and ultimately that was incredibly healing for me. Um, it, you know, by the time I finished the book, I felt like, Oh, this is a part of my past. This story is a part of my past. It's not alive in me in the way that trauma is alive in us until we process it, you know? So there was, 
and a, a lot of healing for me in that for sure. And I think the other thing that you make me think of in that is, you know, part of my desire in writing the book was that a family who's experiencing something similar to what we've experienced, or even a, a child or an adult who experiences the world the way that my kids experience the world, would be able to take this book and hand it to a mom, a dad, a sister, an aunt, an uncle, a teacher, a counselor, a doctor, anyone who is, you know, a support person in their life and say, this is what it's actually like. You yes. can't imagine it. Yes. You can't imagine what this looks like and feels like and what it's like day after day after day. And not everyone is called to write that story down, you know, but one of the reasons I did was that so people would be able to say, you know, this isn't my exact story, but read this before you give me parenting advice, you know, or before you tell my child they just need to be more disciplined or whatever it is that we hear all the time, you know, that's definitely one of my hopes. And I I call this the post-it journey, uh, the post-it challenge. So read this mm. book and take your post-it notes. And you tell me how many times you put post-its on mm. the parallels of Lynn's journey. And I consider my journey very, very similar um, to Lynn's yeah. right down to the endometriosis because mm. I had a total mm -hmm. abdominal hysterectomy too. And, you know, you're yeah. healing through all that. I was just like, yep, she gets it. She understands. Yeah. Um, yeah. And right there's so many of us mm -hmm. that have such similar stories. You know, I've heard that again and again from early readers. And I think that was also one of my hopes is that parents especially moms, because I'm a mom, you know, would know you're not alone. You're not the only one out there feeling these things, thinking these things that you don't want to admit that you're thinking or feeling, you know, it's, we're all, we're all on this journey together. Yeah. So one more quote before we start diving into what, what I'm going to call the fire of Tinderbox. One more quote, you, you later in the book, say that you were stoic and you said um and I don't have the quote right in front of me because I'm looking at another quote but you said I'm stoic like a dormant volcano that right mm. there just hit the core of me because I thought all of the trauma I've endured in my own journey you know growing up and then the secondary trauma of, of parenting a now young adult with an FASD a dormant volcano that to me was such, just such a realistic picture of how we think we're stoic. We need to be stoic on this journey. But if we keep pushing it down and pushing it down like lava, those the, that fire, if we keep pushing it down, it's going to explode. So you can yeah. only be stoic without regulating yourself for so long because you're going to explode mm -hmm. you know so Absolutely. i i wanted to yeah. point that out because that was just such a wonderful um it was just such a wonderful picture in my mind of mm. oh yeah that's being stoic but but not being um but not addressing 
the yeah. the actual fire. So yeah. I am going to I'm going to use this one quote and and go into our pre-recording conversation because I I kind of had an epiphany and and I think it's so related to your cover and to the book and to this journey. Um, your one of your quotes is how did the volatility of our life shape our kids? Because we both know that our children who have an FASD, their lives have an effect on their siblings. Whether those siblings also have neurodiversity, which in our case they do, and in your case they do also, mm-hmm. and you you do a wonderful job explaining the differences in their neurodiversity, which I think is so mm-hmm. important because we know after you know learning the neurobehavioral model that FASD is a spectrum disorder, so it's going to look different in everyone, um, right. just like ADHD and autism looks different in everyone. But that mm-hmm. volatility. So now I'm going to take that quote and and let our listeners um, experience our pre pre recording conversation. This book to me really illustrates what I've I've used this term before: the fire of dysregulation with FASD with any unaddressed brain-based diagnosis with traumatic brain injury. Mm-hmm. What happens when the brain changes? And we know the brain changes. You you so wonderfully, you know, talk about that later in the book and how you explained it to Claire in a way that made her understand and not feel less than. I, I loved that part. Mm-hmm. Um, this, I consider this, a- anyone who has a brain-based diagnosis, there is, we know there's dysregulation. And um, one of our previous guests, Dr. Jared Brown, we talked about dysregulation as a fire. And fire, when it's controlled and when it's monitored and when there are resources to control it, fire is actually something we can learn from, we can gain from, we can benefit Mm -hmm. from. And thinking of our children, our loved ones, anyone who has an FASD, they have that fire inside of them. There's there's this fire of dysregulation. However, in that fire, if you look deep enough, there are those gifts. There are those mm-hmm. gifts that that they are they're blessed with. Like, you know, uh, you share so many of what Claire's gifts were, and your other children, and mm-hmm. and I've shared about our children's gifts. However. When the dysregulation gets out of control, and this is where your book just so wonderfully shares how gradually it gets out of control more and more Mm -hmm. and more. And we talked about how this fire goes from a campfire where people gather around and, and, okay, this is cool. I'm gravitating towards this fire to a bonfire and hey, okay, this is bigger. This is making me a little nervous because I see sparks going out of where they Mm -hmm. should be Mm -hmm. to a wildfire, which is where Mm -hmm. we see hospitalization. We see residential. We see a lot of, um, a lot of hurt. And Mm -hmm. I think that tinderbox for me is that illustration that, 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 story of how 
we need to share with anyone listening, anyone reading, that this fire is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. However, yeah. just like anything else, we need to learn about it. We need to understand it. We need to have resources to help control it. We don't want to put out the fire. We don't want to put out these beautiful, this beautiful energy that's in our children that makes them who they are or our loved ones or our spouses or our friends. However, we want to have the tools and the resources to keep it in control so that it's mm-hmm. that campfire we gravitate around and not that wildfire that's burning out of control. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. I love what you said um, earlier, Natalie, in our conversation before we were recording the idea of what we're throwing on the fire. You know, what is the tinder that we're throwing on the fire and how are we contributing to the fire getting out of control? Um, And I think we have to be really careful as we talk about it because I don't think there's really any space or energy for any of us to spend time trying to blame ourselves or anyone else for what's happening in our lives. <laughs> you know, I just think that is, um, for me, it, it exhausts me and I don't have enough energy to spend it that way. So I'm not, I'm definitely not saying it's our fault um, any more than I'm saying it's a person with a brain-based difference. It's their fault. It's, I think it's the situation. It's the reality that we're in. And um, one of my hopes, again, in writing the book was to show there, there is a path forward that in this, you know, metaphor that we are in this analogy of the fire, that we are we can stop throwing logs on the fire when it's out of control. You know, we can stop feeding the fire that becomes destructive and we can start instead being those kind of supports around the edges that keep it in a safe and life-giving space. Um, And, and not just safe and life-giving, but, but mesmerizing, enchanting. I mean, we all turn toward fire, right? Mm-hmm. And stare at it. It's it's a natural response that we have to it. And yes. there is a way to get back to that. Not, yes. not that, you know, it's all rainbows and unicorns after that. Not that at all. <laughs> but there is a way forward um, so that we can bring it back to what we all hope for it to be, which is life and goodness yes. and, and hope. Yeah. And there are hints, there are glimpses of those tools that you used before you officially received the diagnosis and before you officially did the fastest training throughout the book. So you talk about things like diet, you know, and that's something we talk a lot about, you know, right. especially um, this summer with Dr. Jared Brown, you know, a, a healthy diet. We talk about exercise. We talk about proprioception. We talk about schedule, consistency. You do. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's one of the many reasons why I have so many um, post-it notes in this book, because there's like 
just, it's like, oh, here's a glimpse here. Here's a glimpse here. It You see mm-hmm. it coming. You see the, the shift, the paradigm shift coming in these wonderful glimpses. And that's something I'd like to share with the readers and with our listeners is that you're probably doing a lot of tools that you don't realize that are controlling the fire. What, what you need, what you need is just that overall, aha, this is, you know, this is, I need to understand the, the roots of the fire. I need to understand what yeah. feeds the fire on, you know, to be destructive and what feeds it to be life-giving, like you said. So yeah. um, I, yeah. I, I'm so happy when I, when I read all those little glimpses, glimpses, I was like, oh, okay. Yep. We did that. She gets it. Yep. You know, it, it, it it's these little things little tiny tidbits and then you get to the and i affectionately call it the same thing you get to the chapter of the purple book which yeah if you're on this journey and i've i've been very candid i facets changed our family's life Mm -hmm. the little purple book changed our family's life my dream interview is Diane Malbin, but I know she is, you know, re- retired and she is, you know, um, out of this space. But I- I've always joked that, you know, that would be my my last dream interview would be to to speak yeah. with Diane Malbin. Um, and knowing how she was able to take her her journey and what she learned and put it into this tangible, accessible book that we all read and I, I recommend to anyone I email or text or speak with trying differently rather than harder, because it's that paradigm shift of, and, and, you know, you and I, when, when you so wonderfully describe, you know, through gritted teeth, I said, Oh, just do it, you know, or, or you're not going, I I've done that too, that, that, Oh, just try harder or, or just keep doing it rather than, mind shift. Okay, let's do this differently. Um, and, and I'm going to save my hope takeaway. My hope takeaway is actually in the book. I'm going to save it for the very end because it's actually, um, it's actually in the book, but thinking about how the purple book, as we affectionately call it, and you're getting close to the diagnosis. That's, that's page 184, 185. So, you know, that diagnosis is coming (laughs) real soon. that that paradigm yeah. shifting ga- diagnosis, um, just if you can briefly share how Diane's book and the fastest training changed your life. Mm-hmm. I know you have in our past two episodes, but in yeah. with with respect to your book, let's talk about that purple book. Yeah, I mean it was dramatic. Not instantaneous, of course, you know, but um, I think, you know, as you've been talking, I've been thinking about the difference between trying to control um, behaviors, people, you know, and being curious and observing and I think for me, that was probably at the crux of the shift that happened reading Diane's book. I think some of what you've alluded to because of my own trauma, um, my own personality, my own life experience, all kinds of things, you know, that created me being who I am in the world. <laughs> um, my 
desire 100% was to somehow figure out how to control my kids, to control their behavior, to make it stop. You know, there were so many times where all I could think was, how do I make this stop? How do I? Yeah. Um, And I think there was this shift for me. And we talk about it a lot at facets, you know, um, to go from trying to control my kids and even myself to getting really curious about why they were doing what they were doing, what, what was behind what was happening. And that reading Diane's book planted that curiosity in me. What if there's another way to look at this? What if this isn't about parenting well enough? You know, what if this isn't about my kids being the people I want them to be, honestly, at some points along the way, it, it felt that way. What if, what if this is about something else? And I think having that question enter really deeply into my experience um, was so profound and allowed me over time and continuing, you know, to read and read and read and create my own trainings for teachers and doctors and all the things I was trying to do. Um, And then going to the facets three-day training and then continuing on with the training of facilitator, like just deepening that conversation in myself of what if this is about the brain? What if there's another way? What if I don't have to try to control their behavior? What if I can pivot and respond differently. And the what seems miraculous a lot of times to me, the miraculous thing is that that pivoting, that shift is actually what allowed my kids to behave differently. You know, it, it's the, what I was wanting all along is what happened in a lot of ways at a lot of moments. Um, but it, it came from a very different place. And it was a much more curious place, a much more sort of open-handed, not free-for-all kind of place. I don't mean that, but um, there's just a lot more space. It's a lot easier to breathe in that space as well. Myself, I am much more peaceful. I am much happier. I am much more able to be who I want to be in the world because of that, of that shift. Yeah. Yes. And for me, you know, I, I took the training several times, read the book um, for me and for my husband and I, I should say, what we've learned is the book and the training are tools to help you. Again, you, you can't uh, for so many years, we prayed to change our sons, what we thought air quotes behavior. And when he was hospitalized and when he, we re- finally received the diagnosis and finally learned about FASD and and brain-based diagnoses because it also changed right. the trajectory of our daughter who does not have FASD. Everything. Right. But, but yeah. she also has a neurodiversity. Again, it's not how do we change them. It's how do we accommodate them so they can be the best who they can be. Yeah. They can they can have that life-giving fire. They can share that that gift with the world. But at the same time, 
help them, um, help them to be comfortable, help them to be regulated in this world because the world is what's making them dysregulated because of how they, their brain and their body was, was impacted. So I really am appreciative of what you're saying, Lynn, that, you know, for so many of us, it's please, please change the way my kid is acting, please. And no, it's how do I accommodate? What's the root? For mm-hmm. for us, we always have to like our friend, our mutual friend, um, slash facet superhero, Nathalie Brossard always shares with yes. me, you, you know, you must be curious, you must be that that detective, you know? And and yeah. that is just life changing transformation yeah. on this journey is you take yeah. traditional parenting and you say, Okay, book goes out the window, here we go. This is what, yeah. this is how you do it. And yeah. for me, I think that what you share, I think this book is if, if you took the purple book and shared it as one family's experience, I think that's what Tinderbox mm-hmm. is. I really do. I I mm-hmm. think, well, there, there's not enough books about the FASD journey out there. I, I There are many, right. but I think there needs to be more, obviously. This is from beginning to that transformation, really. And I, I think it's just so helpful. And, and what you wanted to do, Lynn, you accomplished in, in sharing the most raw and vulnerable parts of your journey. And then boom, purple book, boom, facets training, boom, just ev- how everything changes. And, and it's not, mm-hmm. like you said, it's not instantaneous. But oh, absolutely, yeah. When when those aha moments hit you, though, they it's like, oh yeah, now I get it. You know, yeah. I, yeah, I'm absolutely. I'm thankful for that. Before we we talk about a couple more things, I want to share a deep gratitude with you. Um, you so perfectly explained what it's like when your child has a black box reaction to a medication because mm-hmm. we we had that too well, Utah, you yeah. you and i it's giving me goosebumps me because, too yeah. <laughs> because i i'm looking at that right now he told me to mm. i have to die now i goosebumps my son said yeah. the same thing and we we knew this is not our child this was when he right. was 13 and we started down this road and I I hate to say this, but clinicians who are not FASD informed or who are not neurodiverse, well-versed just start with, okay, this is what we start with. Boom, 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 boom. Right. Right. We also had a black box reaction and you so perfectly explain how you got Mm -hmm. through it. And I really hope readers take note of that because you hear stories and, oh, these are the black box reactions, you know, to, to things, but you, you, you share it as if we were there, as if, you know, we were experiencing our son's black box reaction. And Mm -hmm. you, you talk about how scary it was and how scared you were, but yeah, it is. It is. It's like mm-hmm. the worst case scenario for a medication happens to your your loved one. Yeah. Um, 
I just want to thank you for sharing that because I know, Mm. I know that is a very, very raw, very um, terrifying experience when you see your child and you are fearful that your child is going to kill him or herself because of this black box reaction. Um, Mm -hmm. I I don't have any other rewards except thank you for writing that. Yeah. Because you, you so perfectly share it and, and it, and it wasn't with, it wasn't with Claire. That's the other thing too. Mm -hmm. You get these and, and that reinforces what we know and what we hope to share that brain-based diagnoses, FASD diagnoses, diagnoses look different for every child and that black box reaction for your one child wasn't even it wasn't it was it was like a side story it was like oh my goodness there's yeah there's another fire we need to help regulate oh it was terrible (laughs) it was really terrible i just want to give you a hug right now because i can imagine i can imagine how, how reliving that It was, yeah. And again, also healing, you know, really taking myself back and with a lot of support. I mean, I had my, my husband and my mom and a counselor and, you know, I wasn't doing it in isolation by any means. It wasn't, I couldn't have done it um, in isolation, but I think, yeah, it was really healing and, and also, you know, it's, it, this is funny. I didn't think about saying, I, I didn't realize this would be on my mind, but in some ways writing the story was also really validating. You know, I'm a person who tends to be really hard on myself and I'd really like to be perfect. <laughs> you know, I'd really like to not have to deal with all my own challenges and, and all of that. And I think writing the story at the end of it, I thought, huh, no wonder I'm so tired. <laughs> you know, no wonder some days are really hard. No Can wonder. I take that fire and put it in me for some energy? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Can we transfer yeah. a little bit of fire to the moms out there? But I think that's what happens in our families sometimes because our experience is so distinct from at least what we think of as a more typical family, you know, what it's like to have kids and raise them and what it looks like at the dinner table and all these things. I think that as parents, we can start to feel crazy. You know, we can start to feel like, is there just something wrong with me? Is it really this hard? It can't really be this hard. If I could just get it together, then everything would be okay. We we tend to, or at least I do, and everyone I've ever talked to does, you know, keep that on ourselves. And um, I think that's another gift that the book gave me and hopefully will be a gift to other people that, yeah, it really is this hard. For us as parents, for our kids, as kids um, who are neurodivergent, trying to make their way in a world that says we should all be able to fit in to the same box and do all the same things in the same ways. And 
yeah, it really is that hard. Uh, and there's something liberating about recognizing that. Yes. You, you want to, yeah. like for me, I want to take that and go back to every doctor who said no, <laughs> every, every, anyone who said no and say, this really does happen. You know, this is, you know, real. I have considered taking it to a few doctor's offices myself, but I, I probably know. won't do that. Not no, the words that I yeah, think about no. taking them to. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So yeah. two more, I'm going to call these two more post-it points before, yeah. before we start wrapping up. Um, Another tidbit you share, Lynn, and that made me feel less isolated as a parent and that validated some of the many physical symptoms that we see in our, our loved ones with FASD. I like to call it the brain crash, where mm. you share how Claire was trying to process where she needed to go next to another residential program. And, and I'm going to quote, if if permitted, she let him lay his hand on her from the other side of the car. Then a switch flipped right there. Yeah. She dropped to the floorboard, curled in a ball and fell asleep. I cannot tell mm -hmm. you how many times that's happened with our son where something just was so overwhelming and that he couldn't process. Literally, he would lie down on the floor and go to sleep. And my husband yeah. would be like, it, really? Is it? And I'm like, no, <laughs> what just it's, happened? It's, yeah. yeah, literally yeah. it's his brain crashing. It's his brain yeah. crashing. And he, he would sleep for hours. And like you, you, you shared, you know, she's yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that because listeners yeah. again, readers that happens with FASD and brain-based diagnoses. Yeah. Let's talk about that. And can you imagine, and maybe you don't have to imagine, you know, but I think about specifically for Claire, but it's true for um, our other children too, like just to take a moment to consider what it would feel like. And, and I've been there too, you know, but what it would feel like to get to that point, to feel like you're burning so completely out of control. I mean, we know through neuroscience now that at that point, your frontal lobe is completely shut down. <laughs> you know, you're, you're really only acting out of the most primitive part of your brain. And to have to be in that space, so that the only way to get out of it is for your body to turn itself off. I mean, that is so tragic, you know, that we, that as a society in general, we are willing to put people in a box, to put them in environments and put expectations on them that are such a terrible fit for how their brains were formed or changed, how they function, that their only possibility at that point is to go, you know, all the way to a hundred and then completely shut down. There's just such a terrible tragedy in that. And, and my hope is that we can all learn not to do that, you know, not to do that to each other. And again, not, not 
to to learn i mean she had again that dysregulation that fire which is burning so out of control that her body had to shut down her brain had to shut down yeah 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 and man am i just incredibly grateful that that scene in the book that you're pointing to is the last time that happened yes. in her life. Yes. That has not happened in the last eight years. You yes. know, it, I mean, which is not to say that it won't happen one day in some, for some reason, it's not that we can control all of that, but it stopped happening because we understood, we began to understand what was, what she needed, what kinds yes. of supports she needed. And yes. You know, I love you were talking about Diane earlier and I love, I I mean, I was so honored Diane read um, an early version of the book and wrote a bit about it that ended up on the back cover, which was just, I mean, you can imagine such an incredible, um, yeah, honor for me to have. But one of the things that she said in some of our exchanges, and I think it's actually in the quote on the book, but she said, you know, it's, I think Tinderbox has taken the theory of the neurobehavioral model and translated it into actual life. What does this look like on the ground? And that was very much my hope. I mean, I had, I was already working with the model and so many people had said to me, you know, I love learning about this model and it's your stories of your own family that give me hope. And I thought, how, how can I do this except to tell my family's story and embed in it all the things I learned along the way? You know, it's so fun to talk to someone like you who's so familiar with the model and um, I mean, I very purposefully sprinkled primary characteristics throughout, you know, the mm-hmm. beginning of the book. Um, not that most people would notice that that's what was happening, but how I think we all learn best through story, or most of us at least learn best through story. So, yes, yeah. yes, yes, you took the purple book and you brought it to life, and through your lived and living experience, you are able to not only educate your readers about FASD, but like you said earlier, you're able to validate this whole journey because so often in this journey, we're unvalidated. People people yep. don't believe us. People dismiss us. People misdiagnose our loved ones. They yeah. So many of those attacks on our you know oh my goodness yeah i I guess this isn't happening and and we need to use this book as a reminder that you've been through your experience we've been through our experience and and you are being validated you know Mm -hmm. by listening to Mm -hmm. to this podcast by doing this training by reading this book by participating in legislation that can hopefully support you know individuals with absolutely it is It is validating when you have that community of people, which, you know, and I mean, I I haven't been in this space as long as you. And I know there are others who have been in this space longer than you. But just in the past five years, the FASD slash NB community has grown 
It is strong and it's gaining momentum and books like yours help that, you know, putting those books Mm -hmm. out there, um, putting just sharing. So many people have said that there is so much power in sharing your story. It gives not only it empowers you, like you said, and it heals you, but it gives empowerment to the reader to say, okay, Mm -hmm. I see this on paper now. I'm not imagining this. I I, right. I need to take those those steps. So I'm not going mm. to give away the ending because it's a beautiful ending. And and but mm. just to let you know, I'm reading I'm reading my little post and note tabs about how you talk about nine starter strategies and how your brain formed differently and just explaining how you beautifully explain to Claire that her brain formed differently because of fetal alcohol and that um you completely reinforce that it's not a less than difference. It's a difference Mm -hmm. that that is huge. And I think if you're a parent listening and reading and your child is younger, I think that part of that conversation is so vital that you're not less than it's just different. It's not less Mm -hmm. than, and your air quote, typically developing peers have different moments too. You just don't see them right. or you just don't right. hear about them. So yeah. I I am just going to go back to what I consider to be my favorite part, which I think is the hope takeaway. Um, not only do you share how your, your family um, got to this place where you're at now, which again, you share, I've shared, it's not perfect, I saw a quote and I shared it. I believe it was no FASD Australia. I'm giving them the credit. It was wonderful. I shared it on social media. Just because you're struggling doesn't mean you're failing. I loved that mm. quote. And I think oh, it's yeah. very relevant to this conversation, to this book, because struggle, yes, struggle hard, yeah. yes, but it doesn't mean you're failing. It just means that you're struggling right now. And that means we need to bring in sources and resources and supports and things like that. I'm not going to share the whole hope takeaway because that, that would be, um, I, because people need to read this for themselves, but I'm going to say that Claire's handwritten response to her professor about Mm her diagnosis and about what she needed. And I'm getting goosebumps. This is the biggest hope takeaway, how she advocated for herself. I'm going to have to pause you, Natalie, and tell you two days ago, maybe I had this surreal moment. I was having a conversation with my youngest daughter who was, struggling with some things. And I went and pulled my copy of Tinderbox off my shelf. And I read that page to her. I said, I don't know if you know what your sister did one day, but I know where it is in this book. And I can tell you exactly what that professor said to her and what she said to him. And I just want you to hear it. And I thought, how about that? Well, I guess the book has helped one family you know, because I could read it to her. But I love that you're pointing to that. I think people yeah, that scene. I think that's a template. I think that's a template for mm. self-advocates, for parents, for self-advocates. That's like you yeah. want you you want your child to be able to advocate for themselves. Yeah. This is 
the most beautiful, profound. Yeah, I mean, I cried. Beautiful moments. It. it really yeah. is. <laughs> and that to me is is my hope takeaway um, from mm. this book that that she was able to do that through all yeah. those pages. The previous that we're talking now in my copy page 270 and 271 that's yeah that's how far we get (laughs) and that's how we think you know that's how we think Mm -hmm. on this journey is will there be a moment like that yeah her sharing yes there was and you Mm -hmm. can hear it again in our in our interview in our conversation that we had last year when you claire and i spoke with claire but reading it was just such it was just so glorious, I think, to to mm-hmm. to see that on paper and how she just so eloquently shared. This is yeah. what I need. This is what I have. This is how you can support me. Yeah. Yeah. It was such a beautiful moment. She's just an extraordinary young woman. I, I love that. So that was my hope takeaway. Before we end with your hope takeaway, Lynn. Can you please share? So we're airing this on September 12th, FASD Awareness Month, the date of your book being launched. Can you share how people can get a copy and read from your book and learn from your book? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's on Amazon. It's also at bookshop.org, which I love. They support um, local bookstores, um, but you order it online just like you would through Amazon. So I love that. Um, it's at Target, Barnes and Noble. You can find a link on my website, which is just my name. There are all kinds of ways to get to it for sure. Um, and I would give a, a plug for reviewing the book. If you do read it, that makes a big difference in getting it in front of more people's eyes. And my hope would be, um, yeah, that it that as many people as possible could read the story and understand um, both what life is like, what life has been like for our family, at least, and for a lot of families on this journey, and also a possible path forward that can really be transformative. So yeah, I'd love it for people to reach out and get it and share it and take it wherever you think it could be helpful. I know this book is, it was healing for you. It was validating for you. And you had to share your family being vulnerable, being uh, raw. There were so many things that you shared in this book. And I also know when we've talked in previous conversations, you would tell me, I'm, oh yeah, Natalie, I'm writing a book. And, and when, you know, when it comes out, I'd love to talk to you again. So you wrote the book. It's it's out in the world now. The book is is, I hope, a tool for the people who read it. And again, like you said, to pass it along so people can see this lived out journey of FASD of cha- that paradigm, you know, sh- change in your family, um, in hope and in success what is your hope takeaway now that the book is written and um for readers who are still especially for the readers who are still in that survival 
phase. And it's very easy. It's very easy to slip from success to survival. We know that we can't rest, you know, in um, rest in that success because we know that it's very, again, just like a fire. We, we have to stay on top of it. We have to be curious. What are some words of hope that you have through this whole process? Yeah, that's such a great question. Um, I think in this conversation today, what strikes me is the and one of the reasons I love talking with you to have hope at the, you know, front and center. Um, I think, you know, hope for a long time for me meant that everything would somehow go back to some version of normal that I imagined was there, you know, this, um, and I think I learned and, and part of writing the story down has been a, a piece of that for me, that there is room for so much hope and so much more peace and joy and beauty and, um, possibility for all of us when we're willing to reimagine what all of that means, you know, when we're willing to, um, kind of take down the sides of the boxes that we put ourselves in, that society puts us in, that we live in so much of the time. And, and again, get curious and say, what is possible? You know, is it possible to survive the most terrible things you can imagine happening with your children and still be okay. It actually is. It's not easy, you know, but there is, um, there are always ways to turn toward the light, you know, to turn toward um, hope. They may be very surprising. They may be ways that you could not have imagined before. But I do, I have come to believe through this whole process that they're always there. Um, yeah, and that is an incredible source of hope and strength and peace for me that I can carry sort of in the core of myself. Don't get me wrong. I don't feel it at the surface all day, every day. You know, that's not, but it can become a place that you live from um, rather than a place that you're always searching for. Yeah. I love that. Lynn Alsup, author of Tinderbox, as well as fierce champion of FASD, educator, spiritual director. Um, you wear so many hats and you wear very well. I know you'll be back on FASD Hope. My goodness. I hope I so. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm going to start a frequent uh guest card and you will definitely have one of them. <laughs> thank you so much for being on FASD Hope. Oh, thank you, Natalie. What a joy. Thanks again for listening to FASD Hope with Natalie Becchione. Make sure you don't miss a single episode by liking and following FASD Hope anywhere you find your podcasts. Remember to be informed, take care, and always have hope.